moved into the restaurant, we had to come up with a soul food platter because we were in Inglewood and we didn't have any chicken or fish. So people would come in and be like, you don't have chicken, you don't have fish, you don't have soul food. What you got? And so uh, I chased a lot of people out, bringing them back in to give away tacos. Come back in here. Let me share this taco with you. And sure enough, they would eat the taco and sit down and, and wind up purchasing a meal. It got to be pretty incredible because people really, really enjoyed the food and there was no animal products near whatsoever. No refined sugar, no dyes, no preservatives. We kept it organic and fresh. We didn't feed them out of boxes, not a lot of cans, hands-on. And so that's what we still do today. And people are very appreciative. Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi. Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi. In our continuing discussion on topics of sustainable living and health, I'm thrilled to be joined today by Chef Babette. Her transformation story is the stuff of legends. It's through her commitment to motivating people around her to give great, healthy, plant-based foods a try that she's making a big difference in the lives of so many every day. So I really am just inviting you today on this journey to think a little bit outside of the box of what your daily consumption is like. Now, Chef Babette has culminated a massive social media following. She owns and runs the very first vegan restaurant in Inglewood, California called Stuff I Eat and has been featured in all kinds of notable media. She is a fearless powerhouse who even went up against Starbucks for upcharging for vegan items, something that just still drives me batty. Chef Babette, welcome to the show. (laughs) You're so adorable. Thank you. (laughs) That still drives you batty. It does. And I mean, the same thing at all of the coffee shops, you know, every single one seems to do it. We could do so much better. We could do so much better. And it shouldn't have to be such a fight all the time for us to do better. Well, you know, when organic milk is eight bucks or more a gallon and they're upcharging me for oat milk, it it just gets to be infuriating. A bit much. Yeah, certainly. (laughs) You're so cute. Now, I understand that you came to a plant-based vegan lifestyle in your 40s for your health specifically, not as an ethical vegan, not for climate, but for you. I'd love for you to just tell that story. What motivated you to get there? I'm glad you're asking me that. Um, My husband, I met Rondo in 1990, in the spring of 1990. Now, I was singing, girl. I had been you know, to Japan, thinking I was really, that was going to be my thing, singing. When I met him, the very first date was pretty wild to me. Takes me up to Griffith Park to do this run. He runs the whole thing backwards. And then he, after, yeah, yeah. This isn't the first time I've heard that, but I still, you know, I think he was doing it to impress you. You know, we're going, we're going (laughs) up and up and up. And I'm like, so how many more inclines, you know? I'm barely walking this thing. And um, then he takes me um, to his place and he prepares what I I consider my very first vegan meal. 
um, because he had tofu to replace any animal flesh. And he really knew how to, he knew how to make that tofu. It was, it was already pressed. It was nice and tastes like chicken. I kept calling it chicken. And uh, it was, I was like, it has some more chicken. And it, it was a meal that did not affect me. Like I was normally affected after I ate. Like I had a, a rough time digesting food. But of course, I drank Kool-Aid with the meal. I mean, you know, I was a hot mess coming up. My mother put sugar in everything. So right then and there, everything was acidic. It was just, it was just bad combinations. I always had acid reflux. I was going to be one of these, these people that I need to medicate myself every time I eat, which is nuts. We should not have to do that. Yeah. Go get your Prevacid or something to that effect. Every time you eat. Yeah. We're all Tums. We're the only species that has to medicate after we eat because we don't know how to eat. So it's, it's crazy. And, um, this meal was so incredible. And then he gave me two books, but that's, that's the lick right there. Understanding knowledge is power. Oh my God. I'm so glad he gave me the books. One book was fit for life. And you know, fit for life. They're always talking to you that volume one, it's all about food, proper food combining. Now they're not telling you to be a vegan. They're just saying, if, you, if you're going to eat meat, you should eat it with veggies. If you're going to eat potatoes, you should eat those with veggies. You should never eat the meat and the potatoes. They're just teaching you how to combine food. But then volume two started talking about the crap and the deodorant and the toothpaste and all that kind of stuff. And then the mucusless diet healing system by Professor Arnold Eric. Once I read that book, I was like, oh, my gosh. That is why I've been so messed up all my life. Eczema, asthma. I was, I was really, really a wipeout coming up. And as even as a young woman, every 30 days, I get uh, eczema in my face, lips swollen, eyes swollen, the whole nine yards, everything. I had a doctor that just gave me a cortisone cream every month. Does he just keep putting it on your face? Come on now. So uh, once I had that meal and, and got that knowledge, eating became much friendlier. It, it had gotten to a point where I was almost scared to eat. I was miserable every time I ate. And this thing just, and, and so of course I wasn't thinking about not one animal on the planet. No, I didn't even know I needed to think about an animal. I just know that he gave me a, a meal that didn't make me sick. But I'm going to tell you what, what really got me going. <clears throat> Understanding my oneness with this whole thing, with all of it. Understanding that if I hurt the cow, I'm getting ready to hurt me as well. It's just the way it is. And that is what is happening right now. Once I began to understand my connection and focusing on that oneness, then I began to include the whole as a part of me. Yeah, I think the way that we we have grown accustomed to eating food, and I say grown accustomed because this is not how we evolved. We evolved as a hunter-gatherer society that migrated with often the the herding animals that would migrate. We plan our seasonal food based on what was available around us. 
and meat was something of a condiment or of something that could get us through the winter months when there wasn't as much vegetables or fruits or things like that around. And so the fact that we've had to get to a point where we need to understand things like food combining or have to sit there and take a pill in order to digest a meal without discomfort is really disheartening. So, you know, we get to a place now where we understand that the concentrated animal feeding lots, they are creating all sorts of problems for us, not only from a health perspective, but also from an environmental perspective. Runoff into our lakes, rivers, and streams is affecting the health of our oceans. And we also have the negative side effect of all the methane produced through these concentrated animal feeding lots. So there are, there's better ways to do this stuff. And we know the better ways to do this stuff, but it's not going to come without some effort on the part of people like us to say, okay, well, I'm either going to reduce my consumption of these types of foods, or I'm going to be so militant about my source that I'm going to be not a part of that problem. I'll go to the regenerative organic farming, you know, foods that are available, or maybe I'll even return to hunting and get venison now and then or something to that effect. It's like either we do that or we stay in this sick state. And it can be either from a physical sick state because we aren't doing well with the food that we're eating. Or both. Or yeah, I mean, emotionally too, because we are trying to essentially look the other way, like, oh, if I don't see it, then it's not happening. But then the powers, the the people that have the biggest voices are not really talking about everything that is creating the problem. They're not educating. And so you have an ignorant society. What what is that ignorant society going to do if they don't have the info? They can't do anything. Well, that's what we're here to correct, right? And that is why we speak whenever we can. We have to get the truth out because as far as people, pe- people are so ignorant right now about, oh my, seriously, it's incredible. And, and, and to the point that this may be terrible, I have girlfriends and we all go, man, I'm glad I'm in my seventies. <laughs> it's still hard for me to believe, Babette, that you are in your seventies. I mean, you are youthful, vivacious, something... It might have to do with the plant-based eating, perhaps just a little bit. It has so much to do with the plant-based eating, my dear. It has so much. Meeting Rondell, when I met Rondell, getting me to start moving, working out. I was about to turn 40. This was the spring. He was going to turn 42. In September, I was going to turn 40 in December. And that's how we hooked up. And because of that, because of that movement and that first meal, that is what made the difference. Now, I'm sure genetics has some bit to play on it. My mother was pretty good, even though she was hot mess at 93. Um, you know, her face never did crease up a lot and that sort of thing. And I'm sure melanin has a lot to do with it. But seriously, she was not on the journey that I'm on. She, she made me want to do something different because of her her lifestyle, but, but girl, I'm telling you right now, the ignorance is just, I posted something the other day and I was at a vegan event, Dr. Bobby Price. I don't know if you know him. I was at, at his event and I made a comment to somebody who said something about 
using the term vegan and that I turned around and said, yeah, well, I'm vegan. I sell vegan. Do you, and I said something about make sure you have something live on your plate. I, I eat a salad. Just eat a salad. Yeah, everything else is cooked. But eat a salad. Do you know how many people post it? Once you pick that apple, it's dead. They are not making the connection. They're not. I don't know how did we stop making the connection food nutrients. The nutrients represent the life in the apple. No, the apple's not going to get up and jog. But if you plant that seed in that apple, you're going to get life. The nutrients from the apple, whatever vitamins you get from the apple, whatever. I mean, it, that is that is the life represented in that apple. And they all say, I don't care what you pick. Anything you pick is dead. Well, I think there's another theoretical discussion there, right? Because one of the ways that you could define something that's living is that it's in a state of change. And even in the process of decomposition, guess what's live in that apple? It's all the microbes, right? Well, thank you, sweetheart. I wish I had you to post some of that while I was trying to <laughs> have a fit with these people. But I just wanted them to understand the connection that, that you eat not just because you're hungry. You also eat for the nutrition that you're getting from the food that you eat. So you don't want to alter it. Every Everything that you ingest, you don't want it altered. Can I have anything with, and so it was, it was, it was something else. It was a mess. By their logic though, anything that you eat would be dead unless you happen to eat it while it was still squirming. Yes, thank you. Cause I'm saying, well, you guys say you get protein from a dead animal. That's what you say. <laughs> And now you're telling me the apple's dead because I picked it. So, I mean, I know that we each have our perspectives. I remain an omnivore, even though I don't eat as much meat as I once did. <laughs> I do work really hard to ensure that I'm getting it from a responsible space. And I no longer eat farmed fish as one, for example. And my reason for not doing that is because there are concentrated animal feeding operations in the fish farming space as well. Yes. What are they doing? The animal meats that I procure, I'm buying from regenerative organic farms and I have to buy it, you know, from out of state because there's none nearby where I am. It ships to be frozen. And then, you know, I buy meat basically twice a year now. And so that enables me to make meat meals for my family periodically. But see, you had knowledge, sweetheart. You had knowledge and you were able to figure that out. And it's hard to come by. People, they think that if they go to the grocery store and buy something there, that it was, you know, cattle grazing in a field and that the chicken was free range. And that that meant that it was like you would picture if you read Charlotte's Web on one of these small crop farmers, right? It's not like that anymore. It's not. Do you know what I used to believe? Everything in that supermarket, I used to believe everything in that supermarket was okay for me to eat because my government had already checked it out, given the 411, and we're good to go. That's what I truly believed. And you're saying that right now. There's so many of us that still believe the same thing. Well, and there's a sad reality, too, that I've just started to learn about recently. I do plan to cover this at some point soon on the podcast, but haven't been able to complete my research on it yet. And that is that in certain states that the child labor laws are being loosened even more. Yes. So that 14-year-olds are working at meatpacking plants and like they're 
working in these conditions, preparing animals for our consumption, it's just, you know, we don't think about the impact that the way we're, we're procuring and cooking food really has on our society as a whole. We don't think about it. And, you know, what we're trying to do with our current operations is drive the cost down because this has gotten to the space where it's like meat is a commodity. And so because of that, then what are we doing? We have farm subsidized corn, farm subsidized soybeans. These are all GMO crops. The GMO crops are, you know, have inborn chemical varietals that are not necessarily as healthy for us that are then used to feed our animals. And it's not like we are what we eat anymore. We are what our food ate too. So that's a lot of corn and a lot of soy and a lot of GMOs. And they're feeding it to the fish, the chicken, the cows, the pigs. Everybody gets it. I mean, isn't that amazing? It is incredible. So every step along the way, here we are, we're subsidizing the growth of basically two crops, corn and soy, that end up in everything we eat and then in all the processed food that we're marketing on the shelves. And then we wonder, why are we getting less healthy? Why are people getting fatter? Oh, well, the antibiotics that we pump into our cattle, they also affect our microbiome. And then our microbiome can't digest the foods that we're eating that are stuffed full of soy and corn. (laughs) It's gotten to the point where this is, it's comical. Like this is actually something that we should laugh at, but it's too terrifying to laugh at. It really is terrifying. And you know what though? It's right there available for everybody to see on YouTube. All you got to do they have they have documentary after documentary after documentary that all this information that you just shared is right there. You got to look for it. You got to know what you're looking for. You got to know what you're looking for. And then you have to be willing to wear a skeptic's hat. And I think that that is the part that is probably the scariest for people. Because as soon as you say, I'm going to be skeptical, I'm going to question it that means that you actually have to do the work to find out more. And that is not actually that easy. So, you know, it gets to a point where people are almost more comfortable, it seems, just looking away. And and that's what I meant when I said looking the other way when it comes to where your food comes from. Because if you don't have to see it, then you don't have to worry about unseeing it. So true. Wow. So obviously, going vegan has affected you. And it's affected your lifestyle. It's affected your business. I mean, you have a, a you have your own restaurant called Stuff That I Eat, right? Because mm-hmm, it's the state. Yeah. So talk to me about this journey of becoming Chef Babette. Wow. And and I was, you know, you're so funny to say it like that because my mother used to say, you better learn to cook or you're never going to be able to feed your husband. And I used to think to myself, well, he can learn to cook himself, feed himself out of that too. But what happened was once I met Ron and we just kind of started playing around with the food that we ate and making it taste as good as it tasted to us when we ate it the other way. Then I started like a little catering company and went to Japan to do some singing. And when I I was over there, I did a lot of meditating, a lot of cooking, a lot of working out, (laughs) did the same thing I'm doing now. 
And the group I was with, they were practicing and writing songs and doing all that. And and I knew I knew um, when I got back to the states, it was going to be food for for me. And then my husband decided to get involved, and then one thing led to another. And uh, we were on the parking lot of the Agape Spiritual Center for six years with a 15-foot hot dog cart that we had built. And we started accumulating block-long lines, so we knew that it was pleasing to the average palate. So we were doing things like tacos, burritos things that we eat every day. And then we moved into the restaurant. We had to come up with a soul food platter because we were in Inglewood and we didn't have any chicken or fish. So people would come in and be like, you don't have chicken, you don't have fish, you don't have soul food. What you got? And so I chased a lot of people out, bringing them back in to give away tacos. Come back in here. Let me share this taco with you. Sure enough, they would eat the taco and sit down and, and wind up purchasing a meal. Um, it, it got to be... Um, pretty incredible because people really, really enjoyed the food and there was no animal products near whatsoever. No refined sugar, no, no dyes, no preservatives. We kept it organic uh, and fresh. We didn't feed them out of boxes, not a lot of cans, you know, hands on. And so that's what we still do today. And people are very appreciative. Well, I love that. And those that are watching or listening to today's episode and who have a Netflix subscription may also have recently viewed a, a documentary film about twins from Stanford or twins that participated in a Stanford research project, which put them on. I didn't see that one. Okay. So this is brand new. It just came out. Was it a group of them? Several twins? Yeah, several sets of twins, and they took all the twins and they put one of each of them on a vegan diet, and then the other of each of them on a healthy, planned omnivore diet, right? And then they followed them over the course of several weeks. In the first set of weeks, they had to teach them to cook vegan and to eat vegan foods or to cook like healthy omnivore and eat that food, right? And so for that first phase of the study, they supplied 100% of the food that they ate. And then they go into a second phase of the study where they teach them to actually procure the food and cook the food that they're going to eat and do it on their own. And then at the conclusion of the study, they met with all these twins. They'd done full body scans to see where their health markers were. What was their weight? Did it move? What was their intramuscular, you know, activity like? Did they put on muscle mass or did they lose muscle mass? And what about their visceral fat? And that was the big one, right? What happened with their visceral fat? And in all of the individuals that were on the plant-based diet, they had a more significant change in their visceral fat on the vegan diet. So even though the calorie counts were virtually identical, they had a better health impact on the vegan diet. Carefully architected vegan diets, right? They also didn't lose more muscle mass. And so this is something that I had recently asked you when you came on the Nutrition Without Compromise show, because those watching on YouTube can see Chef Babette has some nice shoulder muscles on her. You know, she has been able to maintain muscle mass into her 70s on a plant-based diet. And so there's all these people who come at you when you start talking about going plant-based that are fans of an omnivore or meat-based diet, and they'll say, well, how do you get enough protein to maintain muscle mass, especially as you age? 
Now, we can have a long conversation about this alone, but the reality is that plant-based foods have proteins in them. And when we mention things like soy and rice and beans, these things have protein in them. Getting more protein, you might have to work a little harder to do. You might have to chew more, but the reality being that you are actually likely to have better health outcomes if you do that, even than if you're on a an omnivore diet that is healthfully crafted. Now, even the architects of the study study said, look, you know, if you are getting a wide variety of foods and you're getting your wild fish and you're getting these other nutrients, at the end of the day, you're probably going to have a comparable health outcome. But the reality for so many is it's challenging to do that. And what I loved about this Netflix show was that they followed the twins into the grocery store And it was interesting to see the buying choices they would make on the meats and on the eggs and on the things like that. Because, you know, as you and I both know, if you choose an egg and it has like a pale yellow yolk, it's not as healthy as one with a vibrant orange yolk. And it's harder to get. It's not like you see that on the external package, right? It's harder to make choices based on what's purely on the label. So, you know, those individuals were doing things like buying, you know, chicken breasts and a styrofoam package with wrapped in plastic. Were they really? Yes, because that's how they sell it in the stores. I mean, let's be real here. I need you to tell me just one thing. The two black girls, the twins, how'd they do? That, I, I, out of all of them, I really wanted to know how those sisters did because they were serious carnivores. They were serious carnivores. They're South African, right? Yes. So they're from South Africa. They were also, they were caterers. So they work with food. And the one that was on a plant-based diet was saying things like, oh, I'm not supposed to taste this. How do I even do the job? Because I'm like preparing these foods. And so, you know, her sister who was doing the omnivore diet was teasing her and like teasing her. Yeah. So how did they pan out? Just please just let me know. Did they do okay? So you can watch the show. Maybe I should just say that. See, now you're going to make me go back in. (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay. It was actually really good. At the tail end, the vegan individual actually did have better health outcomes. She was the one who started Lighter Body too, though. But the impact of specifically visceral fat was better overall. And I think that what was really interesting, that was a really interesting piece that universally it had, they had better health outcomes. Now, granted, they're going to the store to buy these goods in the, in the tail end of the study and they're fixing them themselves. So it's all how militant you are, right? It's how focused you are. It's how much you know. It's the type of foods that you're eating. Are you eating a wide enough variety of food to actually feel content and fulfilled? Um, so, I mean, I think overall, the, the impact was really really interesting. Cool. I might have to watch that. I was hoping that you would make me go back and watch, but I was also hoping you would tell me. <laughs> yeah. So what the, here's the document. Here's what it was called. The Netflix documentary, You Are What You Eat, A Twin Experiment. Yeah. It was good though. It was good. And it was, you know, it's, it's actually broken into, I think, four or five episodes. So you don't have to watch it all at once. You can digest it piece by piece. Um, I thought it was also interesting that they had selected a couple guys who were cheesemakers. And they're, he's going, I can't give up the cheese. How does this work? Yeah. How about that? Oh, it was rough for him, right? The cheese. But cheese is rough for anybody to give up. 
Well, and then they interviewed Miyoko Shinner, who was the founder of Miyoko's Creamery as part of this effort as well. And she is a vegan cheesemaker. So, I mean, it's possible to do this living without consuming meat and cheese. And I got to tell you today, the number of things that are available that make you forget that you would even miss meat is, is kind of astounding. I went to Natural Products Expo East um, last September, not this one, but the one before. And um, there was a, um, it was like a little chicken wing, but it wasn't chicken. It was a like tempeh based, soy based, like meat with sauce. And then for the bone, it had a sugar cane piece. So you could eat it and then chew on the sugar cane after if you wanted. And I mean, that was delectable. If I ate like that every day, I'd be far too heavy, right? But the fact that some of these things are meant to be treats, they're not meant to, like, you don't sit down and eat a plate of it. That's part of the problem with America. We sit down and we eat a plate of chicken wings, and then we wonder why our waistband is, like, getting a little snug. Yes, so true. (laughs) But that's interesting. Sugar cane. Oh, my gosh. I love it. There are so many innovative ways to change how we look at food. Um, I would like to actually hear from you for a moment, too, about this bridge into your connection with Mercy for Animals, because we did get to feature AJ Albrecht of Mercy for Animals on this podcast and talk to her about their important work, which is essentially all around trying to improve conditions of animal feeding lots and things like that and get us to all think about a more plant-centered diet as it stands. But what led you to that moment and what was that collaboration really like? Mercy for Animals, um, it's unbelievable, really and truly. They reached out to Stuff I Eat years ago. And to be quite honest with you, I didn't know who Mercy for Animals was. I had no clue they really embraced stuff I eat and Chef Babette to the point where they pretty much put us on the map. Serious. No, no, that's the honest to God. I didn't know who's, who Mercy for Animals was. And uh, just unbelievable made the vi- first videos with us that that got like over 8 million views and just nobody knew who Chef Babette was or seriously, it was mercy for animals. So as far as I'm concerned, (laughs) whenever, whatever mercy for animals needs from stuff I eat or Chef Babette, I'm there. And, and that, that is my connection with mercy for animals. And that's, that's the honest to God truth out of nowhere. That is really lovely. I didn't know that. But one of the things that surprised me um, that I didn't know before interviewing AJ Albrecht was that like they're pushing for things that are kind of no brainers. Like they want to be able to have um, pens for the pigs that are big enough so that they can turn around. Right. At least while they're nursing their, their little piglets, you know, like, like th- this has to be through legislation and <laughs> This gets back to that whole concept. Like people just think that if it's USDA sealed and government regulated, that that means everything's okay. Um, it really doesn't mean that everything's okay. And and if an animal doesn't even have the space, it needs to get up and turn around. Because everything is everything is not okay. And the and the abuse that these animals suffer, it's like 
it starts with self-love. There's no way, the way I love me, there's absolutely no way I could ever inflict that kind of harm and pain to any other living being. No way. And, and loving starts with self. So if you don't love you, you don't give a heck about that animal. The way that they, the, the, their, their methods of handling these animals is, is heartbreaking. It's horrible. But, but karmic debt, I mean, we all have to pay it at some point. We really do. So there are people out there that are giving some simple messages that I think everybody here would benefit from hearing us repeat. Okay, I'll give you one. Jonathan Safran Foer, he wrote a book. Um, what was it called? Eating Animals. I think that's what it's called, right? And then he's also written books on climate change. He also wrote a book, one of my favorite fiction works, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. This has also become a film, right? So he's a fiction um, author as well as a nonfiction author. And what he's a proponent of as a vegan is simply no animal products before dinner. And so if we are to communicate this broadly through our media channels to say, look, you know, maybe veganism isn't for everybody, or maybe that's too hard for you to consider right now. How about let's just not do any animal products before dinner? What a cutback. And by making that simple change, then we're reducing the amount of dairy that's being consumed. We're reducing the amount of chicken, beef, pork, whatever, fish. Sweetheart, you just said it. We didn't have all of this meat being eaten years ago, and it wasn't a problem. No, it wasn't a problem. We're overdoing it. It's not sustainable. We don't have enough land mass. We, we need our forests. So you're saying it, even the cutback. Even the cutback. That's it. It's a huge contributor. Because it's never going to stop. Well, there's always going to be personal preference. And then there will be those people that just say, I just don't even want to. I'm not going to bother. I'm going to do things the way I've been doing them. And that's just the way I, I'm going to keep going in the track I'm going. And that's not to say that that's bad. I want to be clear with that. I, I can't judge you for your lifestyle. I really can't. No, and judging is not going to get us anywhere. No, but if if that's the case, if you even were to say, you know what, I'm just not going to eat an animal products in, in one meal a day, and then you start discovering new foods that can actually impact your health in a positive way, if you start to consider something like what Dr. William Lee says, who has been on this podcast too, where he encourages us to look at meat as a condiment. There you go. Which is more how the Asian culture really looks at meat. I was just about to say, that's how they did it. Right. You know, like you consider a shish kebab as a part of a meal, as opposed to a giant steak on your plate. We've gotten gluttonous, honey. We've gotten gluttonous. And we want it at every meal. Well, even if you go to eat out today, like I am hard pressed to go out to eat a meal and be able to consume all of it in one sitting. We are just simply feeding ourselves too much. And then there's an environmental cost to that too. So if we shrink the amount we eat and we shrink our waistlines, then we are less of an ecological cost too. So I think it's just about being honest. It is. This is so important. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's, that's, that really is such a good answer to it. Just a cutback. How about that? Just a cutback. I love that. You know, you know I still love my cheese. You're not, who didn't 
love cheese. That's the last. I mean, I still do. That is the hardest thing. And for me, it's, you know, Parmigiana Reggiano and putting some of that on a marinara and like pasta. It's like, oh, that's so divine, right? We grew up with that. Of course, you know, so like, and as an Italian, that was something that was so rooted in culture. And so we can find new ways, though, to replace some of these itches, so to speak. So I, this is a question I have for you, because I have my own answer to it, of course, too. But I think we've kind of led there. I just wanted to know if you had a magic wand to wave, what you would change about our food culture. If I had a magic wand? I want the magic wand. Maybe that's why I'm asking you. Well, I think I like what you said. I think I would probably change the fact that we don't eat animal animals at every sit down. I like that. I love that. I think that is um, I think that would help a lot, in other words. So I think I'll steal that from you with my magic wand. I'd make that happen. We could only eat animal products one time a day. So we'll grant Jonathan Saffron Fowers wish for all of us. I love that too. That's one of my favorites. I mean, it's brilliant. It'll help. We got to do something. We we have to do something. We don't we? I mean, what what do we do? You know, because nobody's running a hundred percent. There's absolutely nobody that can stand back and point at you or point at me. It's because nobody's running a hundred. We're all doing the best we can. You know, and we grew up a certain way. And it was it was introduced to us a certain way. Um, but to be able to cut it back, say, OK, everybody's going to be able to do what they'd like to do. But we're just going to be able to do it just one time a day. It's not going to be all day long. Maybe one time a day and only five days a week. <laughs> well, I have to, a couple questions about food to ask you since you have this beautiful restaurant. And since unfortunately, it's a bit too far for me to make my way there. It's too far. <laughs> I wonder if you would be able to share a couple of meals that you think are really easy to prepare in your own home that people could do plant-based if they wanted to give it a whirl. Oh, honey. Yeah. Okay. Check this out. Um, if you ever juice carrots, if you ever juice carrots. Now I peel the carrots, I make sure they're really clean. And I take the pulp of that carrot. And then I just, all the ingredients that I used to put in my tuna, I put it in the carrot pulp and I make carrot untuna. It is absolutely delicious. And you can do that in the <laughs> the comfort of your home. So are you saying like a tuna salad sandwich type thing with carrot? You can make salad, but the carrot pulp becomes tuna, like regular tuna salad, but it's made out of carrot pulp. So everything, all your your um your sweet pickle relish, your mayo, you know, little onion, everything you put in your tuna, you're gonna put it now in your carrot pulp. And Wow, it is delicious. So I always add apple cider vinegar, a little agave nectar, of course, a little bit of Bragg's. Uh, I put some celery seed, some um, uh, celery seed and uh, caraway seed. And of course, bell pepper, green onion, a little red onion and mayo. Woo! And you got carrot and tuna. So it sounds like you're making a salad topper in a way, like something that could be integrated into any salad you make or into sandwich. It's a salad topper. 
It could be on the side of your salad. It can be a big salad with with lettuce and tomato. And oh, yes, that's an easy one. What's another really easy one I have there that I love? Make your tacos. Get yourself a wild rice blend or just wild rice. Wild rice and season that bad one up with some Mexican seasoning and some bell pepper and green onion and, and that kind of stuff. And once you cook that wild, you know wild rice is a grass. It's not a grain. It's a grass. So you could actually put it in the dehydrator in water and it will open up for you. But you make some tacos out of that wild rice. Ooh, child. That is the best <laughs> Well, because you mentioned your juicer, I also have another solution for the fiber that gets left behind because the juice I like to make if I'm juicing, I'll put beet and celery and carrot and sometimes um, another vegetable or two in there. But if I've done multiple in this one juice, right, then I can actually use the leavings as the base for a soup stock that I later create. True. And so it ends up being like a heartier soup stock because all that fiber is in there. And so it's a little more filling. And there's just other ways to use your food scraps beyond just composting them or throwing them away. I haven't done that. I'm getting ready to do that. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's a really delicious way to go. I will say too, when you talk about the tacos that you make and your stuff I eat restaurant... It gets me salivating. So one of the things I do with my boys is I just take taco seasoning with some firm tofu. Firm tofu. Crumble it up just like you would with the beef stuff and put the taco seasonings in. And it is great. They like it just as much. We sell that. We sell that at Stuff I Eat. The same thing you're talking about. We have either. We have either. A so just do tofu tacos, beans, you know. Tofu taco. We have a wild rice taco, or then we have the blend, the tofu and the rice. So you're spot on. Tastes like regular taco. You don't even know the difference, do you? Once you eat it, once you gr crumble that tofu up like that and season it. Right. And got to tell you, hey, if you're on that path, then your visceral fat is going to shrink more than your omnivore friend over there. So thank you. How do your kids like it? My kids love tofu. It's been surprising because my husband is such a kind of poo-pooer of that in particular. Poo-poo! He's all mur, mur, like tofu, you know, but I just like when they're with me alone was the first time I introduced it. And because like, I didn't want him overshadowing their experience. Right. Yes. As I did that, because I was like, okay, he's going to poo poo it. And then my boys who idolize their dad are going to be like, oh no, I don't like tofu. I don't like it either. So instead I did it with them solo on a night when their dad was going to be doing something else. Right. And so we had our tofu tacos. And then the next time I prepared it was when their dad's the home too, right? Like, so I did the meat version and the tofu version and my sons love the tofu version. So they're eating that. And then my husband turns his nose up at it and they're just like, you're crazy. This is good, dad. <laughs> I love it. Like, that's what I want. You know, I want kids that are going to have a broad palate that are going to be willing to try new things. Them. And understand that they don't have to go to meat every time they need a meal because of the way that our American perspective has been architected more broadly is that, you know, you need meat to make a meal and we really don't. Well, I'm going to tell you what my mother turned around. She was <laughs> already had a stroke. She turned around. She could barely talk. Don't think I'm never going to eat another piece of chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. She loved her chicken. So what can I say? 
You know, what can you say? Different strokes for different folks, I guess, is what it comes down to, right? But I loved your one idea. It was the best. Well, it's not mine. Nodding to Jonathan Safran for and his work. Okay, well, we'll give it to him. It was a good one. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Chef Babette, for joining me today. It's always fun to hang with you, girl. This was great. I love having you on. And you were on my other show, Nutrition Without Compromise. We got a little deeper on some other sides of this then. But um, gosh, it's just been such, I think, a good conversation. Yeah, this was fun. My hope for people is that they can take one pearl of wisdom from today's conversation, integrate it in their lives, and perhaps they've just learned a little bit more about what it takes to eat and live responsibly. I know I learned something. Now, I will be sure to include links to everywhere that we can find you, Chef Babette, which is at Chef Babette on what Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, TikTok. Yeah, on Facebook is Babette Davis. Oh, Babette Davis. Okay, great. So I will go ahead and include those direct links on each spot. And I understand you also have a website for the restaurant. Do you want to give that now? I think it's a, what is it? I, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm at stuff I eat that I don't, you know. I'm terrible. I don't know y'all. You know, I have it in my notes, but I'm not looking at it right now. You have it, please. Can you give it to him? I'm so bad. I'm just really (laughs) horrible. (laughs) But I'm 73. I have an excuse. You have a great excuse. And I have a really (laughs) poor excuse because I'm supposed to be 100% ready for this moment. Give me a second. Um, On OrlandNutrition.com, where I first interviewed you for the Nutrition Without Compromise podcast. I'm going to go ahead and search because I know it's there. (laughs) Terrible. I can't believe I can't even remember. I can't remember. Babette, you're so bad. No, and I can always cut this out. (laughs) Maybe I won't. I'll leave it in there for fun. Um, But that website is, um, yeah, www.stuffieat.com. There it is. And there's your beautiful face and stuffieat.com is it. Man, you must have a whole team of people working for you. Yeah, because I never take care of any of that stuff right there. I never even look. I'm terrible. Okay. Oh, well, I should have had it right here. And I just, that was the one thing I missed. Well, you got it now, baby, and you gave it to me. So you're good. That's right. So you can find Chef Babette on Instagram at Chef Babette also on TikTok. And then on Facebook, it's Babette Davis. The website for her is stuffieat.com. You can find out more about her restaurant that's all vegan in Englewood, California, right there. I will be sure to include direct links to all of these with show notes. And really, I'm just going to remind everyone, if you enjoyed today's conversation, and I really hope you did, I hope you'll give us a thumbs up, write a comment, five-star rating or review. All of those things help more people discover our content. And if you're curious about the conversation I had with AJ Albrecht at Mercy for Animals, you'll also find a link directly with show notes for that as well. Now, I will also say that we can create new great recipes together. I would love to hear from the community about your favorite vegan or plant-based food. So if you want to send those my way, you can send a note to hello at caremorebebetter.com or DM me on social channels and I'll be sure to share them as well. And I want to close this show by simply thanking you, all of you, and also to the lovely Chef Babette, now and always for being a part of this pod and this community, because together we really can do so much more. We can care more, we can be better, we can even transform our diets and our lives 
and build the health and the future that we want and deserve. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good. 